Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, January 13th, we are studying John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Jesus continues to call his disciples to himself. In today's text, he calls Philip and Nathaniel to follow him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have this regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks. Good to be back. Pastor Preuss, we have the end of John chapter 1 today. What context should we know about what we've read from John's gospel and anything about the gospel that'll help us with the text for today? Yeah, the more immediate context, we have uh, just heard the testimony of John the Baptist. So he tells us who he is. You know, he's he's not the Christ, uh, but he's the the voice that, that prepares the way for Christ. Uh, he also is the one who then points to Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And kind of right immediately before what we're going to go through, we hear about two of John's disciples who hear him say this of Jesus, and then they stop following John as his disciple and start following Jesus as his disciple. And we know that one of them is Andrew, who then goes and tells his brother, Simon Peter, that they'd found the Messiah, the Christ, and brought him to Jesus. And uh, then we hear Jesus name him Cephas, which means stone. Uh, And then the other disciple is is no doubt John, uh, the author of the gospel. And we're kind of then in the midst of Jesus calling his first disciples. Uh, he did it in a kind of immediate way through John the Baptist. Uh, but now we're going to see this the next day in our text. Jesus is about to go to Galilee, but he has a couple more disciples to call before he, he leaves. All right. So we're at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, calling those first disciples. Today we have Philip and Nathaniel. Here is the text from John 1. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
That's our text for today. That is John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. All right, so Pastor Price, we have a very direct opening here. It's the next day. We've heard that a couple times here in John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 35. So we're on a series of consecutive days here. Jesus goes to Galilee. He finds Philip. Follow me. Take us into this opening interaction between Jesus and Philip. Yeah, Jesus, this is a reminder that Jesus is the one who chooses his disciples and that they are not the ones who choose him. So later on in John's gospel, we hear Jesus tell his disciples quite explicitly in chapter 15, verse 16. uh, And he says, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. And so this is what he is doing here. He is choosing his disciples. He's choosing Philip, and he does so through the word, as he always does. And, you know, I alluded to this before, but here he does it immediately, right? It is Jesus himself who is calling uh, with his own vocal cords uh, Philip. But he did it with John the Baptist, Uh, as well. So we call that uh, immediately. So he's using an instrument, uh, John the Baptist, who led two of his disciples to Jesus by the word. But the word is the same word that Jesus speaks. Uh, Whether John the Baptist is is speaking it, whether a pastor is speaking it, whether a fellow Christian is speaking it, this is the living voice of Jesus. Uh, So we can still see that today, though immediately Jesus is calling his disciples by his word. Uh, The Holy Spirit is at work through the gospel, and we confess this in the third article of the Creed, uh, that we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called us by the gospel. And so here he's going to be called to more than just uh, faith in Jesus. Uh, He's going to be called to a particular office, uh, and that's also something that we should consider, is that Philip doesn't make himself one of Jesus' disciples, uh, he doesn't have this just inner call. I mean, there's a place for, you know, having the desire. It's a, it's a good thing to have that desire to want to be a pastor, for example. Um, but but Philip doesn't just have a good desire. No, Jesus, he calls Philip. Mm-hmm. And so we really want to accent that part of it. He says, follow me and be my disciple. Well, as the narrative is told, you know, it doesn't seem that Philip has a, a desire at all, or if it's there, it's it's not put forward. I, mean, I don't, we haven't met Philip up to this point, and this is just Jesus deciding to go to Galilee. He finds Philip, even those two verbs put all the, all the impetus on Jesus and his action. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't tell us anything about Philip knew something about Jesus beforehand, that he had been one of John's disciples, although I suppose that is not outside of the realm of possibility. But at least the way the the narrative reads, this is this is all Jesus. He's doing it even apart from any desire of Philip. That's not to say he couldn't have had a desire, but that's that's just not a part of the way John writes this. Yeah, you know, it 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 really is uh, the way John writes it. He he just wants to put the emphasis on Jesus. I do think that Philip. I mean, it, it seems to make sense that Philip would be, uh, uh, along with Nathaniel, uh, disciples of John the Baptist, but maybe just not present at, at certain things. But I guess we we don't know for sure with with them. Um, Andrew's the one we know for sure. Right. But yeah, the way it's flowing, absolutely. He's John's clearly trying to show to us 
this divine monergism, as we call it, that, that God alone, Jesus alone is at work here uh, to, to call Philip. Philip hasn't made a decision for Jesus. He didn't have this uh, warm feeling in his heart when Jesus walked by and, you know, blew him with the wind of his robe or anything like that. Um, he, he definitely is simply the recipient of, of his, his gracious Lord, who mm-hmm. uh, he becomes uh, a disciple of and, and gets to know not just on a personal level, but to know him as the very uh, son of God and the one who gives life to the world. So that call of Jesus, follow me, it's one that I think we know well as Christians, both from narratives here in John and also in the Synoptic Gospels. Jesus will call his disciples and he uses these words, follow me. What, yeah. is that, what does that mean? What is Jesus telling them, inviting them to do? Well, it's a, it's a call to, to faith, and it's also a call to, to bear a cross. You know, oftentimes when I hear, follow me, I, I usually think, uh, take up your cross and follow me. Uh, and the, the cross is, uh, you know, different ways we can look at the cross. Um, kind of just to use two main ways is the cross that, that atones for our sins, and then the cross that is put upon us uh, as as part of the the being a disciple of Christ, that there are uh, persecutions that will come upon you, there are uh, difficult situations that will come upon you, uh, and that God will place upon you as your loving Father who disciplines you uh, as you confess the faith uh, of of Jesus' name and and what He has done and what He has taught as we we walk. Uh, the way to to heaven. And so, uh, you know, it includes all of that, for sure. Right. So, and in that sense, then, the call that's given to Philip, follow me, there's there's a sense in which that applies to every Christian. I mean, that every Christian follows Jesus is and bears the cross after him. But you also mentioned that there's a, a call to an office here that maybe there is some distinction. So can you can you help us with that? Like, what are the what are the similarities between this call of Philip and the call of the Christian, but then maybe where some of the, this is specific to Philip only. I know you talked about the immediately and immediately aspect. Are there other aspects that are similar and yet also different? Right. Yeah. So there's the call to faith and, and that's the, the way that we think about, uh, you know, the gospel calling all Christians and we're all going to then uh, believe in Jesus Christ as our savior, uh, be baptized and, and, and learn his word and confess his word and this is this is a call to all Christians. Uh, but the other aspect of this is that as we go forward, we see that there are certain men that he has chosen who are going to be his 12. Uh, and he is going to train them in particular to be the apostles who are going to be sent out. That's what the word apostle means. They're those who are sent out just as Jesus uh, is the son of God, that the father sent from heaven. So too, he sends out his disciples, uh, the apostles with the Holy Spirit uh, in order to be those uh, first pastors, first missionaries, I guess you would say. And uh, this is an institution of an office. And so he's preparing them for the office of the ministry, uh, the office that you and I are uh, have been have been called and ordained into. And so uh, there there are times where we just need to see that he's speaking to all Christians and there are other times where we need to see that he's speaking particularly uh, to the those in the office. And then, you know, in a situation like this, you kind of have uh, a both and 
Uh, and you're going to see some of those too, where things apply to, to all people. I mean, we're all given to, to uh, confess the gospel of Jesus Christ, but here he's, he's given to do it publicly uh, and to do so uh, in the place of Christ in a, in a unique way uh, where there, there is a particular office, not just, not just, uh, you know, uh, the ordinary call that, that every Christian would receive. So Jesus has called Philip, follow me. That call is effective. The word of God does what God's word says he will do. Philip follows, and he follows first by going to find his friend, I, I presume a friend, Nathaniel, or maybe another disciple of John. Again, we're, we're not told exact details here, but he goes and finds Nathaniel and begins to speak to him. And it's, it's quite striking, again, the way just the, the narrative is, is flowing. Jesus has just met Philip and said, follow me. And suddenly Philip is going to Bethsaida, finding Nathaniel, and he's giving a, a fantastic confession of who this Jesus is. Uh, talk now about what Philip does as a, a follower of Jesus. Yeah, and this is where I think, you know, I didn't want to get ahead of our, our uh, account here. And so this is where we, Jesus didn't just say, follow me. That's right. <laughs> uh, he said a little bit more than that. We're giving certain words. Um, I'm sure John the Baptist said a few more words, too, uh, when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. But uh, Philip clearly believes that Jesus of Nazareth, uh, the the son of Joseph, as he calls him, which he is, according to the uh, legality of it all, uh, uh, not according to the actual fatherhood. We know God the Father is the father of Jesus, uh, and Mary the Virgin is his mother. But uh, he he talks about him as the one who is from the city of Nazareth, the town of Nazareth. He's the the son of Joseph, so Joseph in the legal sense. But then, uh, before he does that, he says, "We found." him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. And so he's got a whole lot more uh, of a view of, of Jesus than just that he is some prophet or rabbi. He is, he is uh, the Christ. He's the one that they are, they're waiting for. Mm-hmm. And so this is what he believes. So uh, to, to, you know, just to kind of start with then what Philip's doing here, uh, the gospels engendered faith in him. That, that Jesus is the Christ. And then faith has a voice in confession. Uh, it also has a voice in, in prayer, right? But it has a voice in confession. You say the same word that God has said to you. And so Philip has this urge to tell Nathaniel, his friend, um, you know, fellow disciple maybe of John, um, whatever that might be, uh, about Jesus. And uh this is what we all are given to do uh, in, as we confess the faith, no matter whether you're uh, just um, you know, in the office of the ministry or if you are a Christian in general, this is, this is what we are given to do is to, to pass that, that torch on uh, to know that the light of the world, we know him and we want you to know him too. And so this is him confessing his faith to Nathaniel. And again, uh, or maybe not again, but, but Nathaniel is is a name that uh, maybe some people don't, if they've learned the list of the disciples, uh, they might say, well, I don't always remember that in the list of disciples. Well, mm. Bartholomew is probably Nathaniel. Uh, that's what most people think. Um, that's what I go with, too. Um, but that's that's who he's calling. So anyway, we get to the point of how he's found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets right. write. Uh, Philip's faith. He's, he doesn't have just some feeling here. Uh, he is, he's 
base this upon the prophecies of scripture. So clearly he knows his scripture. Clearly he is like all of those in Israel uh, taught these scriptures about who the Christ will be, uh, uh, what he will be like, uh, the things that he will be doing. Uh, and so Philip is believing words like Moses' words from Deuteronomy 18, that a prophet would, would come up uh, and arise from among his brothers. Uh, he's believing the testimony about the Messiah, the Christ, from the other prophets. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, Second Samuel or it be the the prophecy in Isaiah uh, uh, 53 and 52, 53. We don't know which ones, but we know that he knows many of them and that he is saying that this is now fulfilled. So Philip doesn't have perfect knowledge, but he knows enough to be convinced and to invite Nathaniel to come and see for himself what the Old Testament said. And, and that this that matched with what Jesus was. Hmm. So um, it, this is a reminder to us that Christ is all over the Old Testament and prophecy and types. Uh, as Jesus himself says, they are they which testify of me in, in chapter five here of John. So Philip's got a, an immediate reaction of I've got to go tell others about this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that gives some insight into just, as you said, Philip clearly knows his Old Testament. And in listening to Jesus, because again, as you said, there's more that's happening that John does not record for us. And then perhaps, you know, having listened to some of the Baptist preaching as well, I mean, this gives us some insight into what the Baptist was proclaiming about Jesus, in addition to the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God. I mean, you, you really see the way that the, the expectation that was there looking for this one, that was inherent in some of the questions that John was asked when, when people were trying to figure out who he was. So they're, they're looking for this fulfillment. And just the way that, that Philip very clearly confesses that Jesus is the one that the, the Old Testament is all about. Like it's, it's all about him. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Just that, just that statement, like, wait a second, I, I thought the prophets were telling me lots of fun Bible stories like Noah's Ark and David and Goliath. And and yes, right, those those accounts are true, and, and certainly we should learn them. But the way that, that Philip is reading the Old Testament, that it's a book that's all about this one guy, and here he is. I mean, the level of excitement that I would imagine in his voice, it's got to be pretty high. And it's, it is a fantastic reminder for us as the, the way that we should approach the Old Testament, too, it's ultimately a book about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's such an important thing for us to see. You know, when we went over Genesis in, in Sharper Iron, we saw that just so beautifully uh, portrayed in so many places that the promise of Christ uh, from Genesis three fifteen on is just it's it's what drives everything, and it's also what drives the entire Old Testament. They're all waiting for that seed of the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent. Mm. And they're passing this on. And then the promises that are given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the promises that are given to David, uh, you know, and the, these are just repeated over and over again. And the, the idea, you know, if we try to import our own context uh, into, you know, the old Testament times of, you know, I think that sometimes people might get quite confused of just looking at a Bible passage or Bible story like uh, you mentioned David and Goliath. Uh, you know, David and Goliath is just a, a story to, to teach us how to how to defeat the, the big things in our life. 
uh, you know, and they, they'll yeah. use it for something like that rather than seeing in David, uh, the son of David, Jesus, uh, who likewise in it with nothing, um, but his, his own body, right. Comes and defeats the, the devil, uh, who is that giant who destroys, you know, it's, 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 it's typological in other words, it's, it's pointing forward to something. Now that's not, I guess, as obvious a, a type for some people, but then there are other uh, types that uh, are, are are very clear in in the Old Testament, and then direct prophecies that that cannot but announce to us that the Christ is coming and that they're waiting for him. And you know, just as we Christians should be waiting for the second coming of Jesus at all times, uh, they were uh, waiting for the first coming of of the Christ. And so Philip tells Nathaniel, he's here, and he, he is Jesus of Nazareth, who is the son of Joseph. Now, you, you mentioned earlier the son of Joseph. That's perhaps what catches us off guard, because we know from Matthew and Luke that, well, no, he's not the son of Joseph biologically, though, as you pointed out, legally he has been adopted by Joseph. Nathaniel doesn't pick up on the son of Joseph as much, but he does say something about Jesus of Nazareth. What's What's his problem with Nazareth? Yeah, he he says that, uh, you know, nothing good. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, he must look at Nazareth as, as insignificant. It's just it's not a place to expect the Messiah uh, to come from. And, you know, if Nathaniel knows his biblical, uh, he's got some biblical knowledge, then uh, he would know that the Messiah was to come from Bethlehem, not Nazareth. And, uh, you know, if you look up there in Galilee, north there it's it's not exactly uh the the place where you know you've got samaria right there and so some people look at them kind of as as half breeds and and not fully fully uh jewish and so there might be kind of a an attitude against them although you know some of them are from that area too so i don't know how how well they they would uh be in the, the pure line either but yeah it's just kind of this it's an insignificant town um, you know, he should get it though. I mean, Bethlehem's an insignificant town too, but it's just kind of a dismissive, it's insignificant. Shouldn't it be more, you know, amazing than that? Shouldn't it be someplace like Jerusalem? You know, he's, he's kind of thinking like Herod. Hmm. Well, talk, talk more about this because I, I think within Nathaniel's question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You, you see the, the nature of Jesus as the, the one who is despised. You know, we, we looked, men looked upon him, but they esteemed him not. Talk, talk yeah. more about how we see that attitude in Nathaniel here. Yeah, I mean, just as as God is, uh, Jesus is choosing those who are nobodies, uh, so too he comes as one who is nothing. Uh, Philippians 2 tells us that he he emptied himself, he became nothing, uh, in that he he did not fully use his divine attributes uh, as the son of God when he, he came into the flesh. And so uh, it is not surprising for us to see him as he is working for our salvation, to be coming from a very, uh, you know, uh, lowly uh, place. Uh, he is born of a virgin who is unknown, uh, who is betrothed, not even married. He's he's placed in a manger. Uh, you know, the foxes have dens and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to raise his head or lay his head. And there's just consistently throughout Scripture, uh, the riding into Jerusalem on, on the colt of a donkey, uh, it's 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 constantly showing us that Jesus comes from uh, the nothingness of this world uh, in order to show us that it is it is by uh, His power uh, that He uh, brings forth uh, our salvation. 
and also to then be approachable. I mean, he comes, mm-hmm. he comes in this, this lowly way so that we can actually approach him. Uh, you can't approach the Holy God and live, but when he comes as, as the, the Christmas hymn says it, you know, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see hail the incarnate deity. Uh, he, he comes in a way that, that might to everybody look, it's not the way it should be, you know, to use David again, uh, when, when Samuel goes to anoint one of Jesse's sons, every single one of them is brought before him and his eight sons. And then, and they like, is there anybody left? Yeah, there's one in the field, you know, and then they bring David. And so there's, there's always this way you've got the barren women um, you've got like Hannah, right. And, and he wants to bring uh, from nothing, everything to, to show that uh, it is not by the work of man, but it is by the work of God. Uh, and, and then to be approachable as the one who has not come to destroy us, but to save us. Uh, and so he comes lowly in a meek way uh, so that we might then receive him. Mm, yeah, so we should take great comfort in, in what Paul talks about as the foolishness or the weakness of God, which is ultimately wiser than, than anything that man has and stronger than anything that man has. And you know, as you were talking about the, the various people whom God calls, you know, I mean, just the way Paul writes there to the first Corinthians or to the Corinthians in his first letter in chapter one, he, he tells them, you know, think about you when you were called, like you weren't wise, you weren't yeah. powerful, you were you were nothing, but God chose you. And so the fact that Jesus comes to be, you know, from this despised town of Nazareth should comfort us because I mean, that that's us. That means he comes for us. That's exactly right. It is such a comfort, especially when you, you know, you might think of yourself as a nobody and uh, that's, that's okay. You're not a nobody to Jesus. And, you know, Bethlehem might seem like a, a nobody, nobody's town. I mean, that's where David's from too. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it, it becomes one of the most famous towns in the world because, uh, and it's not about the fame, but it's about the, the glory that, that Jesus brings uh, to us uh, through his grace. Mm. Uh, and he, he comes in that, that lowly way in order that we might, through his grace, um, have those, that glorious uh, body and that new creation that he has prepared for us through his life, death, and resurrection and our baptism into him. Mm. So... There's just a, we, we want the glory right away in this world, but find yourself lowly and you'll find yourself a, a ready uh, recipient of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, yes, yes, in fact, Jesus has come out of Nazareth, the despised one, to be the Savior for you and for me, dear sinners. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're looking at John chapter 1 this morning with Pastor Stephen Preuss. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? 
Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, January 13th. We are studying John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Benton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were talking about Nathaniel's response to Philip. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip has just been so excited to tell him, hey, here is the Christ, the one that Moses and the prophets all wrote about. He's Jesus. Nathaniel just kind of shoots him down. Yeah, what good can come from Nazareth? Philip doesn't get defensive. He doesn't try to argue with Nathaniel. He simply says, come and see. Talk about Philip's response. Oh, it's just the best. It's it's such a good response. Uh, and here's why. It's, it's a simple, uh, repeated invitation uh, that is so valuable when you deal with those who are doubting Jesus. Uh, just simply lead anyone who doubts to him and his word, and then let the rest follow. Uh, in other words, Philip's saying, all right, test the scriptures and see if it matches up with Jesus and see whether uh, I, I, he can prove it to you. Mm. And so he's had very wise words. He's He can't force anybody to believe. He can't force Nathaniel to believe. It's also, I mean, it's very tempting when people get snarky at you to want to get snarky back, <laughs> right? And so he, he doesn't do it. Yeah. He, he instead says, okay, I can't force you. I love you, though. And so come and see. Uh, I'm going to invite you to see what I already have come to see myself. I believe this is the Messiah. Uh, this is God in the flesh, right? And so I, I want you to see it too. And there's something Christ-like in that, as we'll see a little little more here in a little bit, uh, when Jesus actually talks to Nathaniel, in that Philip doesn't give up on him. He loves him. He, he wants him to follow Jesus. And we shouldn't give up on people either. And uh, there are all sorts of people who, thank God, that a good Christian or pastor didn't give up on them mm. and said, you know, yeah, maybe they were thinking they knew everything and they didn't need your help. And then all of a sudden you, you said, well, come and see, listen to God's word, uh, come back to Christ, come to Jesus and, and see what he has for you. And it's an invitation to faith. It's an invitation for the scriptures to actually uh, uh, prove themselves true in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's why Philip, he has confidence knowing that he believes uh, uh, something that he's standing, he's standing on rock solid ground that, that he can bring Philip or bring Nathaniel over there and, and let Jesus do the work. Hmm. Well, and that's, that's exactly what Jesus has done for Philip, you know, to go back to where we started, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. He said, follow me. And that word of Christ brought Philip to faith. And it is in, in that faith now that Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see, which is, is placing the confidence entirely in Jesus. I mean, Philip, you know, as you said, he doesn't, he doesn't get snarky back. I'd never really considered the fact or the possibility that, that Philip could have responded back with a sarcastic comment, but he doesn't. And he doesn't, you know, he doesn't try to argue Philip or Nathaniel into the faith somehow. He, he simply says, well, 
listen to the word. You know, he, he puts yeah. the confidence fully in Jesus and the word. And I, I think there's, there's something there for us still today, uh, you know, as, yeah. as pastors and as Christians, when we meet those with objections, you know, I mean, and, and there are places for, of, co- of course, apologetics and, and reasonable arguments, not, not arguments sure. in the sense of quarreling, but yep. ultimately it's, it's always going to be the word and the Holy Spirit working through that word that does the work of conversion. Yeah, and it also takes the pressure, I think, off of Christians in many ways. I think sometimes they feel unprepared to say anything. I think these three words, come and see, uh, are wonderful words for you to speak to your, your uh, you know, doubting or maybe you know, somebody you want to invite to church. Come and see. Come to our church and see. Talk, you know, listen, go, go through the service. Listen to us confess our sins and receive forgiveness from the pastor as from Christ himself. You listen to us sing the psalms and, and and the hymns of the church. Listen to the word that is proclaimed to you from the lectern and the pulpit. Uh, you know, watch them receive the, the body and blood of Jesus in reverence and in thanksgiving. Uh, see them blessed and sent out in peace uh, and see, see that. Come and see this and then come and see the pastor and talk with him as the one who represents Christ. Come and see our Bible class. Uh, it's it's it, it makes it so that it's not all on you. And I often tell my members here this, that, you know, I want you to be able to confess clearly. But if you get yourself kind of scared or maybe think, oh, I'm going to get in too deep if I go so much, um, point them to your pastor. Come and see. Come point them to the church and say you're certainly welcome to come and, and sit there and he'll talk to you about, you know, when you can come up to communion uh, after going through, you know, instruction and he'd love to get to know you and, you know, just kind of guide them through that. But just this come and see, I think for us as pastors, certainly, uh, but also for the laity, I think it might be a really helpful way for you to just see, Hey, those are some words I can just latch onto and have in my pocket at any time to take out and say to somebody. Yeah, yeah, and and so Nathaniel, or excuse me, Philip makes use of those words for Nathaniel, and Nathaniel does. He comes and sees. In verse forty-seven, then Jesus sees Nathaniel, and he speaks to him. What does what does Jesus say to Nathaniel? What does he mean by it? Yeah, here's a behold from Jesus. We've had the behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world from John the Baptist. Now Jesus says, "Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit or there is no guile." So what he's saying here is that uh, he sees in Nathaniel the true faith of Israel. So he Nathaniel is actually one who does not just have this kind of carnal descent as, you know, I, I'm an Israelite by birth, and so I'm a child of Abraham, as many claimed. And as we know from, you know, the rest of John here, especially John 8 uh, and, and Romans 2 and 9, uh, making this distinction between, you know, the spiritual Israel and, and those who are simply uh, born uh, of the flesh. So Nathaniel, we should view by these words of Jesus, is one who truly hoped for the Messiah. So think of like Simeon and Anna, right? They're waiting for the consolation of Israel, as Luke uh, records for us. Uh, this is Nathaniel. He's got knowledge, and we know that faith is not just knowledge. Uh, but it's also accompanied with with complete or it's completed by trust right uh, in the Lord. And so he he does have this, but it's it's at this this unique time in the history of the world when when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. and so now he we're kind of in this in-between uh, time of of Christ uh, coming 
uh, and then Christ came, and that's where they are. Uh, and now we're at, he has come and is going to come again, but here he is. He doesn't yet know who the Christ is, but Jesus can see he's looking for him. And so Psalm 32 verse 2 talks about, you know, you know, blessed is the spirit that there is no deceit. And that's exactly what Jesus sees in the heart of Nathaniel. Uh, not to keep on going back to the David account, but boy, it reminds me of, you know, how the Lord looks not at the appearance, you know, like yeah. people do, but he looks at the heart. And that's what Jesus is doing here uh, with with Nathaniel. Hmm. So we see this with Christians today, too. You know, there are those who are true Christians and those who are false Christians. We have many parables about that from Jesus. Uh, there were true and false Israelites in those days. And Jesus is saying this one is a true one. He truly does believe he is a part of the spiritual Israel. Well, and I think the the interaction that that Jesus starts here with Nathaniel is you see an example of him as a Isaiah forty two reminds us of Jesus that he he won't break a bruised reed or or quench the yeah. faintly burning wick. You know, I mean, Jesus doesn't come at Nathaniel with a rebuke. You know, he he comes to him to encourage him and to say, okay. Here's you have this faith and your faith is right. Now let me show you that in myself your faith is being fulfilled. Here I am. You know, I mean he doesn't he doesn't just push Nathaniel aside and how could you ever ask such a question? He actually, you know, calls Nathaniel closer to him to to further faith. I think it's a good example of, of what Isaiah prophesied. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, he and that's why Nathaniel and questions how Jesus knows him. He's yeah. kind of struck by Jesus' confident knowledge of his faith and his spiritual state. I mean, how many times can can you just go walk around and just see people? I remember I was once at a, I was in Dublin actually in Ireland at uh, at the parade for St. Patrick's Day, and and some guy came up to me and said he saw the he saw the glory of God shining in my face, and I thought, oh boy, what am I dealing with here? <laughs> and uh, my mom said I should have said, yeah, it's Luther's small catechism. But I mean, the whole the whole point is that you can't see that. You can't see that. That's ridiculous. So he's clearly looking at his heart. And, and Nathaniel is just wowed by this. I mean, um, and again, like you pointed out, Nathaniel was hasty, but Jesus is still kind to him. And he shows his omniscience. And that's what Nan, uh, Nathaniel is amazed at here. Um, but he becomes even more amazed. Uh, and when Jesus, you know, responds to him. So Jesus says to to Nathaniel, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, I mean, on on the one hand, this this sounds like okay, he's he's you know revealing more of his he, the fact that he is as he will say the son of God just by saying I saw you before he even called you. But then you have this bit about the under the fig tree. And I've always kind of puzzled, is that just that's where he happened to be sitting? And so Jesus says that, or is there something more there? What's what's Jesus saying to, to Nathaniel here? Yeah, so people in that region would commonly uh, seek cooling, the cooling shade of a fig tree. Uh, and, you know, it was a place where some would, would meditate on scripture and pray there. And we know this, you know, about the fig tree from 1 Kings 4 and Micah 4. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, something that's found within scripture. But Nathaniel's reaction it demonstrates, you know, when Jesus actually mentions it, there's there's something going on that Nathaniel was thinking about, uh, that Jesus gave him evidence of his omniscience as, as well as, as his omnipresence, right? That he is he knows all things and that he is present everywhere. Uh, and and so, I mean, he's he's reading Nathaniel's mind. He's he's reading his heart. 
and what he had been meditating then on under the fig tree. He wasn't just twiddling his thumbs or, or even just taking a nap. He was he was thinking or praying or meditating upon scripture. So maybe if he's say he's one of John's disciples, which many think he was one of John the Baptist's disciples, maybe he was meditating on some of the things John had been preaching on hmm. about how he was preparing the way for the Messiah. Or maybe he was praying to the Lord for the Messiah to come soon so that he could see him face to face. Maybe, I mean, he was contemplating Genesis 28 that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. Um, whatever it was, it had to have an imp impression. I mean, just think about, okay, you're praying, Lord, let me see the Messiah. I hear he is coming. John the Baptist has been preaching about him. Uh, let me see him. I, I, I want to know him. Please, Lord, answer my prayer. You know, amen. And then all of a sudden, Philip comes yeah. and gets him. And then he, Jesus says, I, I heard it. I mean, we don't know. But what we do know is that whatever it was, it was that striking. It was, and it, it was incredibly striking to him. Uh, and so whatever the case, we know that Nathaniel's response is just a, in amazement, a confession that's one of the most beautiful in, in John's gospel. Yeah, yeah. Just the, the interplay, but in the way the word see shows up in this text, you know, we mm -hmm. talked about the, the invitation. Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see. And then more than once, Jesus is the one who sees Nathaniel. And, and now we know he sees Nathaniel first. Another reminder that Jesus is the one taking charge here. He's calling his disciples. It's very, it's similar to the way in, in Luke's gospel, in the account of Zacchaeus, where, where Luke tells us Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus. He wanted to see Jesus. But by the end, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So here, yeah. you know, come and see, well, Jesus has already seen you. And, and as you said, when, when Nathaniel, you know, this is revealed to him by the word of Christ, he confesses one of the most wonderful confessions in the gospel of John. What, is, what does Nathaniel say about Jesus? Yeah, Nathaniel responds, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Jesus' words as you've been saying here, convince Nathaniel uh, that he is the son of God and the true king of Israel as prophesied in the Old Testament. And, you know, Psalm 2, Psalm 110 are, are kind of your, your big verses for that. Uh, and, and how uh, the, the son of God is, is the one who is the king and, and sits on the throne uh, and is put there at the right hand of, of, of God. And so when, when we hear the, the son of God, you should really see how, how, Jesus then stands in relation to God. Uh, Nathaniel is confessing him uh, as the one who is the very son of God himself. Uh, and then king of Israel is in relation to man, right? He has come to be Israel's Messiah, to be the anointed one who will come and save his people. And this is the goal of John's gospel, is that we believe this as well. You think about John 12 and, and the Palm Sunday crowd and calling him the king of Israel. Or you think about the very end of John, where John tells us exactly why he wrote his his uh, gospel uh, and it was so that you would believe that jesus is the son of god right mm -hmm. and by believing you would have life in his name so uh, yeah nathaniel is giving us in chapter one kind of a nice i don't know inclusio a bookend here in the first chapter then to the you know second to last chapter uh there telling us uh who who god or who jesus is Mm. And and he also, I mean, he addresses him as rabbi as well, which is, this is now the, the second time that we've heard Jesus referred to in that way in the previous text. They called him rabbi, and there John even said that means teacher, which, you know, I mean, I, I think when I think of Jesus as a teacher, I, I'm probably very quick to say, well, he's not just that. But we shouldn't 
we certainly shouldn't deny the fact that he is a teacher. And and perhaps maybe the the point or part of the point is that what what does he teach? Well, among those things, he teaches us that he is the Son of God and the King of Israel. Yeah, and he also, I mean, it, it shows you again that this faith isn't a feeling. This faith is yeah. is firmly established upon the the scriptures. Uh, he wants he wants uh, him to be his teacher. He, who are you going to learn from more than anyone else but the Son of God, uh, the King of Israel? Mm. Uh, and so uh, he he looks to him to now. I mean, if Nathaniel, which we have all suggestion that he is is a very good follower of of the Lord here, Jesus says it explicitly, uh, and and Philip comes to him talking about Moses and the prophets. And so clearly they're both telling uh, us that Nathaniel is one who cares deeply about the word of God. Yeah. And so he wants to be taught the word of God by the rabbi uh, of all rabbis. Yeah. So Jesus then answers, and there's there's two parts to this answer. First, he, Jesus says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe you will see greater things than these? What's What's this response of Jesus? Yeah, he, he's telling him that he will continue to show him who he is. Uh, and this is a reminder that faith needs to be fed continually and that Jesus would do this for his disciples uh, with his further teaching and miracles during the three years that they're with him, ultimately with the resurrection and then the ascension itself. So here at the very beginning of his uh, time with Jesus, uh, he, he knows him as one who knows his thoughts and his heart. Uh, but then Jesus shows him what's in his uh, uh, heart, uh, the love that he has for the world, the love that he has for all nations, the, the the life that he has that he's going to give up for the life of the world. And so he is going to show him much greater things. Um, and, and that's an amazing thing to think about. I mean, if somebody were to come up to me, if Jesus were to come up to me, uh, to be particular, and, and tell me my thoughts, uh, I'd find that quite an amazing thing. Um, and for him to say, then there are going to be greater things, just reminds us of, of how many mighty deeds and works our, our Lord did while he was in his ministry uh, here on earth. So these these men, they needed a firmer foundation than what they had. Uh, as we know, they are very confused about certain things, even up to the ascension. And so Jesus was going to give him a firmer foundation, uh, ultimately uh, on Pentecost, uh, to give them the fullness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another thing here, too, just to note, is that Jesus had been addressing Nathaniel individually. So in the Greek, it's a singular you, but he's now switching to the plural you here. Hmm. So he's addressing this to all of his disciples. He's not just addressing it to Nathaniel in particular. Uh, they're all going to see this. So and that, I'm glad you brought that up. The you will see greater things than these being a, a plural. And so all of his disciples being the ones then, or is there... Is there something in this, you will see greater things than these, that's for Jesus' disciples still today? Well, I mean, we're going to see the Son of Man come back on the clouds. Yeah. And we're going to see, we're going to see uh, the sun, moon, and stars fall from the heavens and the earth be in distress. And we're going to look up, straighten up, raise our heads and see the our redemption coming. And I think that uh, then we're going to be ushered into the new creation So uh, and behold the face of the Son of God and and see his throne and see our father in the spirit forever and it's yeah i think that we can certainly apply it to ourselves but i do think that there's an immediate context that's very uh applicable too is that you know the reason these apostles uh were the apostles is because they were were with jesus even you know picking uh matthias it was that was one of the prerequisites that he was with him from the beginning of his ministry 
And so they're going to see these things. And then you think about like John and his first epistle and talks about what he saw and what he touched, right? And um, beholding the glory as we hear in in John chapter one here. So I think it's there's a uh, certainly an application for us today, but definitely a, a very uh, specific uh, application to the apostles themselves. Right, and then just the way that that Jesus speaks to Nathaniel there about because I said, do you believe? At least in my mind, I go forward to what Jesus said later to Thomas after the resurrection, where he says, you know, have have you believed because you have yeah. seen me? And then he he speaks that blessing to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So that even if, you know, if we do not see the greater things until that last day when we see the greatest thing of all, Jesus still calls us blessed because of our faith in him without having seen all of the things that the apostles did. Right, and believing their testimony and believing yeah. their their witness. They're the eyewitnesses of all of these things, of, their, of, of Jesus' resurrection, and we believe them because uh, their word is true. And their word uh, is is accompanied with uh, the, you know, the actual experience that they had with Jesus. I mean, our religion is different than other religions. It's based in history. Uh, and so he he uses these particular men to confess to the world what actually took place, and mm. uh, especially then in the resurrection of Christ. Now, as, as our text concludes, Jesus has one more response for Nathaniel. And, and we were talking about the way to read the Old Testament, and here Jesus reads the Old Testament perhaps in a, a way that, that we wouldn't have otherwise. He, he says to Nathaniel, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's the, the Old Testament reference here? How is Jesus, what's Jesus teaching Nathaniel through this? Yeah, this is just another indication that Nathaniel knows the scripture. Jesus is referencing something here that uh, should be well known to him and to us as well. Uh, he's referencing uh, Jacob's dream and the the ladder to heaven, the stairway to heaven. Uh, and so Jesus, when, when Jesus comes, he's saying to Nathaniel, heaven itself is now open. He has rent the heavens open so that everything that he now does before his disciples is done under an open heaven so that they are uh, beholding his glory as the word made flesh as heaven joining earth. Uh, he's not just the son of God as, as Nathaniel confessed, but is also the son of man, as he says, uh, and the son of man, you know, is, is also a divine figure, you know, in Daniel chapter seven, but he is, he is now the, the incarnate uh, son of God. And so what does Paul say in 2 Timothy 2, that there's there's one mediator between God and man, it's the man, uh, Christ Jesus. So this is even more beautiful than Jacob's ladder because, you know, Jacob's ladder, he sees the angels going up and down and, and the Lord's there at the top. Well, Jesus is God's son in the flesh and he is the one who is the ladder itself. He's uniting heaven and earth. He's, he's uniting us to our father in heaven. And ultimately he's doing that by the blood of his atoning sacrifice. And that is how God has then opened heaven to sinful man. The angels are ascending and descending upon him uh, to serve him as he earns our salvation. So Jesus is this stairway that leads to heaven and the Father. And we know this from the baptism of Jesus, too. The heavens are open and the voice speaks. This is my son uh, with whom I am well pleased. And so uh, Jesus says these, uh, Jesus has these words applied to him by his Father. Uh, heaven is opened to all of us through Jesus through this God's son made the son 
uh, of man, uh, God's word made flesh. So, so when Jesus says, you will see heaven opened, I mean, you, you mentioned the baptism of Jesus as a time when that literally happened, but maybe, well, to think later in John's gospel, where Jesus is addressing Philip, not Philip, but Thomas in, in John 14, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So anytime we see Jesus, we're seeing heaven opened. Is that a, I mean, it, so it's not just one event, but anything that Jesus does, that's revealing to us the father that's, that's heaven being open. This is who God is for us. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, uh, to see heaven opened, uh, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, this happens wherever Jesus is. And we can even apply that to today when Jesus comes to us in, in the sacrament of the altar with his very body and blood, we should think that even though we cannot see it upon our altars and coming to us there, the angels are ascending and descending on the son of man, heaven and earth are joined. And so in the person of Jesus Christ, heaven and earth are joined. God's son becomes man. And he has done this in order to bring us back to God uh, by his atoning sacrifice on the cross. And, and he is the you know, beloved one. So we give thanks for that. Now, one more thing, because this is, a, I think, is the first time this shows up in John's gospel. Jesus starts verse 51 by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, talk about the importance of that introduction from Jesus. So this is the first time it happens in John's gospel of 25 times uh, in, in John's gospel. So we're going to hear this a whole lot more. Uh, and what it refers to is this d- divine permanent truth, uh, which is what the word really kind of points to is truth. Uh, and so this is very good news for us. He, he's saying that the greater things uh, that he will see, that he will see heaven uh, opened, uh, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, um, that this is all true. And this is going to happen. Uh, and uh, we we can be as sure as Jesus' word is sure that this is going to be uh, take place. And, you know, one last place we'll see it happen is, again, as we already mentioned, when Jesus comes back on the clouds, he'll come with the angels. And so uh, no matter how you look at this, you want to be where Jesus is. Jesus, in the time where Nathaniel is being called with, along with Philip, Jesus is there in the flesh with them. Now he's ascended into heaven and has, uh, is now present in his word and sacrament in his church. And this is where we should find him. But one day he will come on the clouds. And each time we should think about heaven being opened uh, through Jesus because of what he has done in his cross. Uh, by atoning for our sins by his blood, he has brought us back to God. He has reconciled us to the Father. And we receive that in our baptism, right? And uh, that's when heaven was opened to us the first time, when God the Father spoke to us and said, this is my beloved son, my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Mm-hmm. So there's so much, so rich here. You could go so many directions in thinking about this, but I hope we've opened up some of those ways for, for the listeners. Pastor Stephen Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us today to study John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about John chapter 1 or any of the gospel according to St. John, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.